Hello again, everyone. Um, sorry to break up your conversations. Um, it's so lovely to be together. Um, I probably didn't say it to start. My name is Chantelle. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm hoping my voice will last because I was just loving worship so much. I was singing away. Um, I just feel really excited about tonight, about Reset, about the worship night. You know, um, a few of us went away um, just to take some time, our leadership team, pastoral leadership team. So it was Sergey and Philippa, Ivan and Gail, Jen and Johnny, Dave and Kate and Paul and I just at the weekend there just to really pray and seek the Lord and coming out of COVID, God, what are you saying for our church? You know, where are we going? And we just came away and our friend, our dear friend Andy Masters from Lagan Valley Vineyard came to help us and keep us on track and hear God for us. And it was just such a good time. And we just came away with a real sense of, you know, God is with us. God has been with us all this time, but there's more for us. We're expectant, we're excited. And part of that is worshiping together and hearing his voice and seeking his face. And that is what tonight is about. It's not just, oh, let's come to the town hall and have a good worship, knees up and hear a few songs. It's being in the presence of Jesus as a body, crying out to him for what he wants to do, for his spirit to pour out into Carrick Fergus, Ballyclare, Whitehead, wherever we're from, for him to meet with us so that we can live for him in everything we do. So just encourage you guys to really come tonight if you can. So I'm here this morning to continue our series, Teach Us to Pray. And we've been asking that question that the disciples asked Jesus. And as we know, his answer is what the Lord's Prayer is based on. So we've talked about a lot of things already. We've talked about being still before God. We've talked about finding that thin place to encounter him. We've talked about that principle of keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. And how often do we complicate prayer? Um, we sometimes overcomplicate it. We've talked about hallowed be your name, that as we come in prayer, we're worshiping Jesus, we're adoring God. And of course, we've talked about give us today our daily bread, about asking God for things, asking for him to meet with us, asking him for things for other people. But I wonder what you think about when I say the word confession. You know, I don't think it's a word that we talk about that much in maybe our culture or our church. Is it something like this kind of old picture I've put up, you know, that we might think about in other denominations, you know, confessing your sin to another person in a wooden box. And I've really found this interesting talking to a friend of mine from a Catholic background, and she was sharing her experience of confession as a child um, and how that, you know, happened as she grew older. So the dictionary definition of confession is an act of telling sins or wrong, illegal or embarrassing acts. And, you know, confession isn't easy and forgiving our sins is arguably the most challenging line in the Lord's Prayer. And it says in How to Pray, our greatest need and God's greatest gift are the same thing, forgiveness of sins. And to receive it, we only have to ask and pass it on. But to ask for it, we must first admit that we need it. 
So we wriggle about, we pass the buck, the man blames the woman, the woman blames the snake. It was anything, anyone but us. Um, and I tried to find a picture of the Garden of Eden. That was the best one I could find. You know, we just don't want to take the responsibility. It's hard to for ask and confess. Um, I wonder how many times you've heard a child say, it wasn't me. Maybe some of you have a story like this in your own family when the child drew on the wall or covered the TV in pseudocrine. It's really hard to say that we've done wrong, isn't it? It's always someone else's fault. It's hard to confess. Um, we actually had this in our family. <laughs> Odie isn't here. Owen's not here. But I did ask him if I could show this photo. And he said, yeah, if you give me a lift in Nanny's house. <laughs> so <laughs> he's not here. So we don't like to say it was our fault. We don't like to confess. But in Matthew 6, it says, and forgive us our debts as we have always forgiven our debtors. That's the word they use there. And the word debt, I'm not going to say the Greek word, but it is a commercial term. It's something that's owed, an obligation to give, something that's due. And indeed, the word forgive also has commercial connotations. It literally means to wipe the slate clean. So I wonder if you want to try that with your mortgage lender or your credit card. You know, I've borrowed too much. I can't afford to pay. Please just wipe that out. Erase what I owe. Let's wipe the slate clean. I owe you nothing. Do you think that would work? <laughs> I don't think so. It's not how the world works, is it? But actually, it is how God works. And it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it doesn't matter what you've said, what you've done, where you've been, who you've been with. God is like that father in the story of the prodigal son. He is running towards us as we've messed up, we've, as we've got it wrong, and he's putting his arms around us. It says in How to Pray, you cannot be too bad, too broken, or too boring for God's unconditional love. Only too proud to acknowledge how you desperately need it. Ask and you will receive. Pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Twelve words and he'll do it. He will forgive you. He'll wipe the slate clean. Here then is the gospel at the heart of Christ's manifesto. If we confess our sins to the Father, asking for his grace, we will be forgiven. When I talked to my friend from a Catholic background, it was interesting for her to share that as she went to confession as a child and growing up, it kind of had become a ritual to her. And partly she was just confessing the same sins over and over every week. And partly it was also because she didn't really believe that she was forgiven. And it was when a friend shared this verse from her from Psalm 103 that it transformed her understanding of confession and God's forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So God is willing. He wants to meet us where we are. Jesus gave his life on the cross that we might be forgiven. And often we're the ones holding back, not believing that his grace is available to us, yet it always is. 
And he knows when we've gone wrong. He knows what we need. And our sins are the things that separate us from God. But when we come to him and ask and say, forgive us our sins and confess, then as it says here, that can be the bridge. To confess your sins to God is not to tell him anything he doesn't already know until you confess them. However, they're the abyss between you. But when you confess them, they become the bridge. And he wants us to cross that bridge and to receive the love and grace that he wants to pour out on us. You know, God wants to forgive us, but how do we confess? How do we do it? Some of you might like to journal or write things down, but another helpful tool is this one, praying the examine, which is a practice that is actually centuries old. So what I thought this morning is we could do a speed praying the examine. <laughs> so I'd love to share it with you now. We'll kind of do it, but it won't be the same as if you're doing it on your own. You know, you'd probably take more time over it, but I'd really love us to just experience this a little bit this morning, if that's okay. So maybe if you want to, close your eyes so you can concentrate if you want to do that. And since we're in the morning, you probably need to think back to yesterday and use that as what you're reflecting on the whole day yesterday because tomorrow today's just started. So first of all, we are going to replay. I want you to replay your day in as much detail as possible. Don't just think about the obvious things, the headline moments. Try to recall the mundane interactions, the in-between moments, the casual conversations that filled the cracks of your day. And maybe ask yourself, where was God when that happened? Where was God when that person said that to me? Or it could even be, where was God in that moment of pain? And sometimes it's hard to remember unless we go through it chronologically. But we need to remember. There's so many references to remembering in the Bible. And by remembering, we start to see how present God is in our lives. He's at work in all things, all people, all places, all times. So replay. Think over your day like a movie replaying in your head. Notice what you're noticing. What made you happy? What made you anxious? What made you angry? Replay. And then rejoice. As you reflect on the day, you'll maybe remember some subtle ways God blessed you. A little whisper you heard, the way you felt his presence, the lightness of his touch. Maybe you'll remember the joy of just bumping into your friend in Tesco's, the ridiculous video that made you laugh, the unexpected hug from your teenage son, the cup of fresh coffee in your new mug, the song that moved you, the spring sunshine that lifted your heart the quietness of the night, the comfort of your own bed. Rejoice. God's not just in the nice stuff. He's also with us in the dark valley. 
when we doubt or even when we sin. He's at work when we ask for healing and it doesn't come as we expect. It's useful to pray where rather than why prayers. Where were you, Lord, at my hospital appointment today? Where were you in my weariness and disappointment? So rejoice. Thank God for the obvious things, but thank him for the little kindnesses. Savor those moments in gratitude to God. And then repent. As you've recalled your day in detail, rejoicing in God's blessings, I'm sure you've been reminded of actions, words, thoughts, and attitudes that were wrong. In the stillness of prayer, the Holy Spirit often highlights times when we've been selfish, lustful, deceitful, hurtful, unkind. Maybe in the moment we ignored it or justified it. But as we sit with God, it's harder to do that. Maybe we're trying to hide our secrets like Adam and Eve in the garden, but God comes to look for us so he can lift off our shame. In Psalm 51, it says, Cleanse me and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. That's what God wants to do as we come to repent. So say sorry to him for moments that we've recalled when we were gossiping or reacting with a negative tone or lacking compassion or ignoring or not responding to a nudge and receive his forgiveness afresh. And finally, reboot. Now that we've recalled our day, we've rejoiced, we've repented, Let's turn our attention to the next day, today. Ask for God's strength to live a little more for his glory. Let's live for Jesus today and ask for grace to see his presence more clearly. Thank you for this time, God. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jesus. I hope that was helpful. You know, the examine could take you five minutes or you could take a whole hour. You wouldn't have me chirping in your ear the whole time. You'd just be being still and letting God speak to you. But that's just a wee model to help us. You know, and if you do it every day, it'll, if you do it once, yeah, if you did this today, if you do it once or twice, that's really helpful. But if you do that every day, it could transform your life because you're just taking that time to be in God's presence. So to me, that's a way to confess and to pray that prayer, forgive us our sins. There is another aspect of confession, which is confessing to one another. In James 5.16, it says that, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. But I just wanted to say a few helpful things about that which may seem obvious, but I think it's always helpful to point them out. And this is from 24-7 prayer. Like when you are finding someone to confess to, that is a weighty thing, isn't it? So it's 
find someone you love and trust, could be a trusted leader or a friend, and if you're not sure, ask God to show you. And of course, you want that person to be discreet. You want to feel comfortable in their presence. You don't want any power games or manipulation in that relationship. And you're asking yourself, will they stay confidential? Are they mature enough to hear what I need to say? And you know, um, as well, it's good that men are confessing with men and women with women because you know that's an emotional thing that can happen and we don't want to get caught up in things that aren't right. So we need to find someone we love and trust. It needs to be so intentional and you need to have a conversation about it. You know, if you're going to start bearing your soul to someone else, you know, you need to be accountable. You need to have wisdom and encourage each other. So you need to have an intentional conversation about that. Of course, you're going to need to be vulnerable because if you're going to share your struggles, the things you're finding difficult, you need to be able to do that together. Connect with your common human brokenness with the other person and pray for each other as you share. And just finally, be wise. You know, it's really good to be open and vulnerable, but be wise with the practice of confession. You know, sometimes we're so keen to get things off our chest and we're pure in heart and we might share things that in reality it's better not to. You know, is this going to be okay to share this with the other person? And, you know, we need to realize as well, there's some things we just need to take to Jesus. So it's getting that wisdom and discernment of what to share with someone else and what to talk to Jesus about. And just not to let that confessing to someone else become a substitute for talking to Jesus. So just to ask you guys this morning, do you have that kind of person in your life? Someone that you can be really honest, really vulnerable with, say, I am really struggling and I need you to pray for me and this is why and this is what's happening. And if you don't, I encourage you to be prayerful and ask God to give you someone like that. So we just, sorry, that sounded a bit sobering, but I think we just need to be real about what that actually means and what that actually looks like. You know, the other massively challenging part of that bit in the Lord's Prayer, we've talked so much about forgive us our sins and what that looks like, but forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So everything's connected, isn't it? Our relationship with God, our relationship with family, friends, they're all interwoven, and it's as we forgive those who sin against us that we ourselves are forgiven. And I don't know, some of you will remember this shocking scene, and some of you were not even born when this happened. This is the 8th of November, 1987. A massive bomb was planted by the provisional IRA, and it exploded in Inniskillen in County Fermanagh in our country. It killed 11 innocent people and injured 64. And this event is actually very personal to me because my... Granny and Granda were two of those 64 people who were very badly injured. They were at the Cenotaph that day for Remembrance Sunday where they went every single year. They were very badly injured, especially my granny. And I remember my dad had to drive to Inniskillen, then travel with her in the Royal, or to the Royal in Belfast in a helicopter where she spent a long time in ICU. I was 12 at that time. And I remember as a young person really trying to make sense of that. You know, 
I think I was the kind of kid who was quite aware of everything that was going on and would have watched the news and stuff like that. So I knew about the troubles, I knew about bombs, I knew that people got shot. But that was the first time that it was really close to home that it affected me so personally. And I, I remember different things about that time. I remember once my granddad got out of the urn hospital, he came and stayed with us in Whitehead so that he could be closer to Belfast to visit my granny. I remember my mum putting sheets and blankets on the bed instead of a duvet because that's what he would prefer. I remember lighting the fire as well as the heating so it would be cosy for him, just little memories. No one else was allowed in to see <clears throat> my granny except for her husband, my granddad, and her own children, so none of us were allowed in. And Something else I really remember from that time is this man, Gordon Wilson. Some of you will remember this story well. Sorry. He was standing beside his 20-year-old daughter, Marie, when the bomb went off, and she was one of those 11 people who died. He did an interview with the BBC just after, and his words just went around the world. He said, she held my head, hand tightly and gripped me as hard as she could. She said, Daddy, I love you very much. Those were her exact words to me, and those were the last words I ever heard her say. But I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Dirty sort of, sort of talk is not going to bring her back. She was a great wee lassie. She loved her profession. She was a pet, she's dead, she's in heaven, and we shall meet again. I will pray for these men tonight and every night. Those words went all around the world. They might be the most remembered words from the decades of conflict in our country. They were uttered by an ordinary, yet extraordinary man. He was just a draper, he ran a drapery business in Enniskill, and he quietly got on with his life. But his pleas for peace and his example of forgiveness prevented reprisals and shook the IRA to its core. He was just an ordinary man, but he changed the course of history by choosing to forgive his enemies and say so publicly. And it's true to say that not everyone agreed with him or was ready to say that. And I was talking to my dad about it last night, telling him I was sharing about this, and he said, you know, some people find that difficult, and not everyone agreed. He went on to write this book about his daughter Marie with a journalist in 1990, and I remember as a young girl being so eager to read it, because I wanted to know how could he say that? How could he say forgive when that had happened? And I've still got it, <laughs> and I've just started reading it again. And Gordon Wilson, he was from Northern Ireland. He was a Protestant, but he was invited to become a member of the Irish Senate in 1993. And after that, he went on to meet with members of Sinn Féin. One time, he also met with representatives of the IRA, seeking the reasons for Remembrance Day bombing, but he didn't get an answer, a satisfactory answer. But one journalist said about him, I genuinely thought he was the nearest I would ever get to being in the presence of a saint. Jesus calls us to forgive those who sin against us. 
That's how cycles of hatred are broken. It's what Jesus shows us on the cross as he prays to the Father. Forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And it's what Gordon Wilson modeled in Northern Ireland when he said, I bear no grudge. I will pray for these men tonight and every night. His first response was prayer. You know, we're asking, teach us to pray. The Lord's Prayer is a call for reconciliation in our broken relationship with God and in broken relationships we might have with each other. We can apply that line, forgive us those who sin against us to every other line of the prayer because as we forgive other people, God's name is hallowed. As we forgive other people, his kingdom comes. As we forgive other people, we ourselves are forgiven. It's so obvious, isn't it, how broken our world is? There's division between left and right, black and white, rich and poor, east and west. It goes on and on, arguing about Brexit, about Trump, about masks, about COVID. It just feels like our world's never been so polarized. And we can't separate our prayers from God's kingdom to come, from Christ's radical call to be reconciled with those who sin against us. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, we might not have had the extreme situation that Gordon Wilson had, but we can follow his example in our everyday lives. How often is it that we're offended? When we're offended and hurt, we can choose forgiveness. Isn't social media the worst? There's so much hatred and division there. People say things on there they would never otherwise say to someone's face. If we're part of that, can we lay that down and can we forgive? And just about teaching our young people, how do they navigate that world with gracious and wise hearts? You know, I've heard people say to me, oh, people just have to take me as they am, like it or lump it, or look, I just fall out with people. That is not okay. As followers of Jesus, we have to live differently. As it says in Romans 12, live in harmony with each other, love our enemies. It's hard, but we can pray for those who are against us. You know, I know, I feel like I really need to say this about forgiveness because it's not straightforward. We might have had people in our lives who hurt us really deeply, and the thought of forgiving them might be so hard. It might be painful. But unless we choose to forgive, those people will still have a hold on our lives. But forgiving is not naive. It's not saying that what they said or did to us was okay. It's not just forgetting about it and letting it go. It's not just saying that person can still have access to your life or still letting yourself be open to more hurt. Forgiveness can often be a process. You might need to talk to a friend or a leader. You might need to go to counseling or might even need to go to the police. Forgiveness is the choice to love and let go, not to hate and hold on. It's a process. And Jesus said, forgive, not just seven times, but 77. It's over and over and over again. This is Gordon Wilson and his wife. He was reunited with his daughter, Marie, when he died in 1995. I love how his forgiveness is summarized in the book, How to Pray. No one really knows how many lives he saved, the spiral of bloodshed he prevented, the soul-searching he provoked by forgiving her killers. But when he gave that raw BBC interview just hours after the tragedy, 
the world could hear that Gordon Wilson's reactions were sincere, not politically calculated, but spiritually instilled. Here was a heartbroken dad and a simple follower of Jesus who had trained himself in the secrecy of his own prayer life over years to love and forgive those he had hurt in, never knowing how deeply his resolve would be tested nor how powerfully it would be used. Looking back on the legacy of this humble Irish draper's heroic act of forgiveness, the historian Jonathan Barden makes an extraordinary assertion. No words in more than 25 years of violence in Northern Ireland had such a powerful emotional impact. And I read that out to my dad last night and he just nodded. You know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Are there things that we need to talk to Jesus about? Knowing that because of the cross, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed those sins from us. Maybe we need to find a trustworthy person to talk to, to be vulnerable with, to confess and pray together. Or maybe there's someone in our lives that we need to forgive. We need to start that process today, even though we might need to repeat it over and over again. And when we forgive those who hurt us, the Father's name is hallowed, his kingdom comes, and we ourselves are forgiven. <laughs>